I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Dan from South Wales, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, if you had to live without either coffee or alcohol for the rest of your life, which ones are going to be? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... Well, everything from Dan, from South Wales's question, if you had to do without coffee or alcohol, which one would you choose, Dane? I think personally, I'm not really much of a coffee drinker. I know right. it's a, a staple for most uh, adults. Literally, literally got one in my hands at the this moment. Is it. It's the it's the fuel that gives everyone the power to compete in the rat race. But I've never really been a coffee person. That's not how I realised my caffeine. Um, hmm. So I would say myself personally, I probably uh, could do it out coffee. Right. Yeah. But then yeah. I feel like you can say like. I'm a coffee addict to people like that's fine whereas if you say I can't do it without alcohol it's a very different uh, list of issues that story's not as fun is it basically Uh, whereas I would choose coffee uh, uh, you know just to let um, you know uh, Dan know because uh, if I don't I don't know how I'm going to deal with my child generally I think it will become really difficult if I I think after a while you'd probably gravitate towards drink at the other end of that beverage spectrum so yeah 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 are they? Would you say they're, they're opposite ends of the of the beverage spectrum? I'd say, or would it be alcohol and water? Alcohol and water, or yeah. maybe they're both sides of water. So, in the same way that, like, on the bipartisan political spectrum, it all, it all requires water at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. But it's a good question, uh, Dan. And suffice to say, on this show, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely. No question is too boozy or too caffeinated. And if you do enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is an ex-lawyer turned poet and author. Her writing has won multiple international awards and has been featured on TV and radio as well as in books, magazines and newspapers around the world. She writes for adults and children and her books include Rita's Rabbit, Dear Ugly Sisters, Being Me and We Need to Talk About Love slash Love Factually, The Science of Who, How and Why We Love. When not writing, she spends her time working with organisations such as UNICEF to improve the lives of children. No, it's not Mother Teresa, it's actually Laura Mucha. Hey Laura, did I say that right? Matcha? Mucha? Uh, I feel like Mucha. Mucha is even better. Mucha, like you're clearing your nose. <laughs> okay. No one ever gets it right, so don't worry. How, how it said it, it's like mucus. And that is how <laughs> the bullying began that first day of school. 
Thanks, Howard. <laughs> yeah. Well, she deserves it, basically. Uh, she deserves it. Uh, That's right. Based on that bio where the emphasis of her work turning her back on law to write <laughs> literature to empower the light and reach the lives of children. Yeah. You, you selfish fuck, Laura. <laughs> I think it's important at this point to let the listeners know, uh, you know, I know Laura. Okay, I know Laura. Howard knows Laura. uh, Lucky me. Yeah, so that's how good the reference comes. I mean, you take it as you were, like, what's she like, Howard? She's all right if you like the kind of person that dedicates their lives to empowering and nurturing (laughs) love within the hearts and minds of children everywhere if you go for that kind of shit thing. But if you don't refer to ice trays, I know that much. Well, Laura, I'm going to be as impartial as possible despite the damn... The damning evidence given to me about you from Howard. Yeah. Um, Thanks, how, how, are, how are you? How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm just sort of recovering from the trauma of being reminded of the mucus stuff um, from yeah. childhood. Actually, I never had mucus, but I did have a girl say, <laughs> Laura Mooka, you make us puke, which was a bit sad. Uh, sad. But I think by that point... I was like, I was a teen, so I was kind of okay with it. Maybe if I'd had that when I was, you know, six, I would have been really sad. Yeah, especially nowadays, you could have been like, I think it's as a lawyer, you'd be like, that's the way you want to go, lady. You really want to make fun of people vomiting at this age where we're also susceptible to eating disorders. That's fine. I choose love. Yeah, I choose yeah. career or in love. I'm going to sue your ass. Yeah. Do you think she's in a pub somewhere being like, and then I used to be like, make us puke, and then we'd be like. And everyone was like, we're in a fucking pub, Teresa. Loads of people puke. That's why no one likes you. That's why your husband is divorcing you. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I should stalk her and see what's going on with her, but I just don't feel like that's a great use of my time. It really isn't. And that is how she's regarded by all of her stakeholders in her life, whether it's debtors, bailiffs, estranged lovers. That's what it's like. And the last thing she needs is the validation of you inquiring about her life. Yeah, well, with that terrifying threat made to an old school friend of Laura's, (laughs) it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show dictates? Absolutely, Laura, as we'd love to have you here as our very esteemed guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question to post to Howard and I. Can we get any question you'd like, which we can discuss for 15 minutes or so? Then Howard here, uh, and I will prevent him from with any kind of hostile tone, we'll also pose a question (laughs) to you, which we'll discuss for 15 minutes. And then I would like to do the same in a twist of fate. And then, most importantly, we'd like for you to tell our listeners where they can find out more about your great works. How does that sound? That sounds wicked. Thank you. Good to hear. Well, the floor is yours to ask the first question. Okay. So my first question is, well, my only question is, um, is love in childhood a luxury? And what has inspired that question? It's nice to, to an interesting one, right, Dane? No one's ever asked us anything like that, I'd say. Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. What, what um, inspired it in you, Laura? Um, oh, so much. Uh, so I'm currently working on a book for adults where I've interviewed six people for over, I mean, at the moment, it's like four years, I think. And I've taken like 200,000 words of theirs and turned it into 7,000 words to kind of capture their life but in their own words. And some of them had love growing up and some didn't. And as you follow them over life, you see the impact of that love 
And I've often had arguments with people who are like, no, what you need is food and water. Yeah, like whatever, love, who needs it? And I'm all, <laughs> well, I don't want to bias you. I want to know what you think. But so I'm kind of interested because I think it's, I'd like to know what you think, but also I think the way we think about it impacts what we do about it, like as individuals, but also at a policy level. Um, and I know what the science says. I don't think enough people know. Um, but yeah. So I'm going to stop because I want to know what you think. I don't want to bias you. I've got some seriously could piss off some people opinions <laughs> about this, Dane. So I don't know if I should. you should go first, mate. Uh, I mean, Howard, I'd rather you speak from the heart, given the theme of the question. <laughs> I um, mean, I, I've I got... A, so as, as listeners will know, I made a person with my wife and he, he's very good and everything. But it definitely skews your take on children. You know, your understanding of what it takes to raise a child. You know, I, I, they, everyone goes, oh, it's, it's, it's not easy. It is fun. Like, it's not, people, some people depict it as quite miserable, I think, you know, uh, but it is quite fun. And so, in, in regards to your question, Laura, I am at a point now, and particularly as the world has become more uh, extreme in its opinions and therefore things that you think, you wouldn't normally say them out loud. And then, you know, now you can, basically. Uh, and so I think, genuinely, we might be at a point where, just like if you wanted to learn to drive a car, you have to learn and pass a test. I think we might be at a point where parents need to learn before they do it and pass a test before they are allowed to have kids. And and that really fucks some people off because it is a <laughs> divine right. It is a divine right that we have, right? So you can all do it and you can do it as many times as you want. And the government will actually pay you for some of that if you've got restrictions on your uh, income. And therefore, you know, it's massive help to have some support with all these kids making. But... I'm not sure that's such a good way because the general proof <laughs> and Laura, I had dinner with Laura a while ago and she said a very shocking statistic about child abuse, uh, which is not what we normally talk about over dinner. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the proof's there. A lot of people are very challenged when having kids and it can have massively negative impacts on those kids and their lives. Some people were talking this week about how Will Smith's abuse at the Oscars was partly due to the abuse he had as a child, uh, you know, and I don't know if that, I, mean, I agree with that, but the, the, the facts remain that the people are hugely affected by their childhood and therefore I'm not sure because love has to be, <laughs> <laughs> like if you took the love away from my child, I'm not sure what he's really left with at the moment because my wife from day dot, no matter how stressed she became looking after my boy, you both Dane and Laura both know my wife. She just loves, she just gave that kid so much. And he's so happy. He's so happy now. Generally his disposition is happiness <laughs> and it's, it's because of the love. So I think you've got to have love. And if you haven't, can't give that to your kid, I, I think there might be a question mark over um over whether you should have got that that certificate to let you have him in the first place <laughs> controversial Dane? i'm not sure it sounds quite no, reasonable no. I, I don't think it's controversial at all i think i i do think what's even more interesting i think some of the uh, ills and some of the phenomena you describe in terms of the mistreatment of children and the maladjustment of people that go from people to being parents all stems from their experience of and subsequently their execution of what they may perceive to be love, if at all. So 
to answer the question, I guess, succinctly at first, Laura, I would say that uh, love is a luxury, but then that's on, I base that on the premise that by its nature itself, love is a luxury. And because it, but despite it, because of the nature of it being luxurious in terms of to experience love, in terms of how love language is demonstrated by human beings within various paradigms, I think that um, it's, yeah, love is nice and therefore it's luxurious, but it's uh, it's also, it should be a given. Uh, I think it, it should be a given. I think when Howard describes, you know, the biological aspects of bringing up a child, logic and rationality will suggest that there is no necessarily direct intrinsic reward to taking care of a child who's really only instinctively driven by uh, self-gratification in terms of the fact that, for example, a child will cry through the night if they're not soothed. Um, but you could argue an adult, well, if you fucking love me and you know you're making this much noise by crying or coughing, you would sleep somewhere <laughs> else so I could get to sleep. That would be an indication of love, where the child maybe wouldn't understand that aspect of selflessness being a part of the matrix in terms of love and how we display it. So <clears throat> I do think that love is a luxury, but it's... Well, actually, yeah. I guess when you explain it that way, yeah, the nature of love is to be luxurious. But I think that love is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Mm. I think uh, uh, there is, a, I guess, a metaphysical aspect to humanity that is needed in order for us to function as uh, a social species at the level of, uh, of advancement that we're at now. I think that, you know, when we try to contextualize human life through capitalism, for example, if you adhere to what, what is arguably equally an illogical faith system like love is, capitalism, it wouldn't make sense for you to take care of people or to exhibit love in order for you to maximize your capitalist potential. But then if you are to do that and to have to loan love for anybody else, it means that what good will your material or capital gains do? Because if you are, if you're not loved by people, then no one's going to be able to gratify your capital gains because a lot of the time you want to demonstrate our wealth through materialism. If people, if people hate you, they're not, they're not going to gratify you on that basis. Um, there are aspects of your human existence that money is not able to take care of, such as any issues of mental health. If there is no financial incentive and for someone to help you, then you would be at the behest of love for that to happen. So I'd say love is not a, is not a luxury. It's definitely necessity. And obviously what you said in the question whereby people say, no, surely food and water is more important for a child. Well, you could juxtapose that uh, affirmation with suicide statistics and the social economic group of a lot of people that take their own lives and their access to food and water was not the problem. Um, you could also argue that... Uh, someone providing you with food and water or access to electricity in an abusive home or where you're deprived of love also is not going to be conducive to you uh, becoming a well-adjusted human being or a human being that's able to process their emotions. So going to what Howard said about uh, um, a theory and practical test being required to raise children in a healthy home, um, the real theory from raising a child in a loving home can only come from, I would say, practice and experience. Mm. And I think that human beings, when we uh, consider 
um, how we operate in terms of family or in other social groups. Um, mm. I would speculate maybe the problem is the compartmentalization of these experiences. Like yeah. the way you love within your household and, your, and within a nuclear family can be good and profound and it is very healthy. But if that is only self-contained uh, within your home and is not expressed through empathy, for example, then it's still going to be ineffective if you teach people to only love people with your last name and to not appreciate love as a phenomenon, as an experience, as opposed to a possession that operates within that uh, microcosm of your household, it's still not going to be particularly effective because you might, for example, th- when we talk about issues like child abuse, or domestic violence, like one of the reasons maybe some people aren't brought to justice is because someone's spouse might be like, don't arrest my husband for abusing my kid because I love him. When really it's like, well, if you really love this person, you'd understand that love has to be an experience and an emotion that influences your behavior outside of the paradigm of you, your couple, because you could understand that if this person loved you as well, they couldn't hit or hurt your child because your child contains your genes. And so if that person loves what makes up you, they should love your child as well. In the same way, a man who claims to love a woman and then becomes abusive because she's pregnant, she's carrying your child, which is a part of yourself. If you don't, if you're harming someone that's carrying your child, then it's indicative you don't love yourself. Because when we discuss the tangibility of love, that's the closest, or, or of self, that's the closest reflection of yourself you can have. Well, I think it, unconditional love is 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 a phrase that is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. It is a madness, right, Laura, to think that people would love someone unconditionally. Well, right? it, yeah. Well, it's paradoxical because if you love unconditionally, that again, by its by the nature of how we describe love in its infinite nature, and by the way we describe unconditionality as as a concept you would love humanity because the person you love is a part of that. So to, again, for example, if you love somebody, but you know that they, they are violent towards other human beings or they hurt or are hateful towards other human beings, you've not really loving that person because how are you able to love if someone's not demonstrating the same thing? You're not really showing an outward demonstration with, with a, of love with so. a child i think and laura you, you know you, you've got a child right um uh, yep. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. i've yep, seen I've, see, I've seen it yeah it, yeah. it, 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 it is a challenge to keep that unconditional thing up because you know and i'm not talking about your kid here i'm just talking about any kid they they can be dicks right yeah. so i think that unconditional love in a romantic relationship is not the ideal because then it would mean that you would go, okay, you're beating me and you're beating my or our children or whoever else, but I'm going to accept that because I unconditionally love you. So I think romantic love should have conditions and they should be very carefully thought out. Not, "Mm, I don't like your breath or "Mm, your trainers aren't really my vibe, not appropriate conditions, but you know, uh, I don't, I don't accept abuse, for example, appropriate condition. Um, And then when it comes to love of a child, I've been having this discussion with quite a lot of like literally world-leading academics in attachment theory. And we've been kind of trying to explore what love is. And there's been words used that I love, like being received, being accepted, a sense of belonging. And I think, 
you know, there's there's all sorts of different people writing about attachment theory, all with their different ways of seeing it and articulating it. But some ideas include that, you know, the child, you shouldn't have to work to be loved as a child. You're, you should be loved in your totality. And in being loved in your totality, you will learn what it what that feels like what a safe healthy relationship feels like that will feel like home and that will be easier to replicate for you when you're older um but also that you will come to like learn how to regulate yourself whether that is your attention your memory your emotions your thoughts your behaviors like everything like it's so profound when you are when you are loved when you get angry and whoever is looking after you doesn't go we will not have anger here but kind of it say, oh, I think you're angry because mm. this, or uh, try and articulate why they might be angry and, and communicate that their emotions are a valid part of their being and they are accepted. And if you can do that from birth, then you're going to create um, someone who has the best start in life, basically. But the problem is, and you touched on this, Dane, it is so much easier to do that if you are living not in poverty, if you do not have mental or physical health conditions, if you are, have social support, you know, like there is a lot of, if you're not living in a war zone, it's, it, but, but the problem is then that it's really easy when you have people living in war zones to think that love is a luxury, but the research suggests that love is just such a massive protective factor and obviously we should be trying to make the world much kinder on a bigger scale obviously obviously and I mean that is a massive job which I get stressed out about quite a lot but what we can also do on the micro level is try which is also a massive job that stresses me out quite a lot try and make sure that kids in whatever form and it might not be at home sadly for a lot of children have access to someone that accepts them and receives them and makes them feel safe and like they belong because that is like such a massive, massive protective factor against all the rest of crap that life can throw at you, basically. Yeah. What an amazing, what an amazing question to start the show day. And that is Laura's one, you know, but there's no, there's well, no competition. But. I, I would even go so far as to say, I theorize Howard and mm. I may allude to this in my question as well. It's because, mm that's part of the bigger question or the biggest question. Mm. So that's a prelude to the question. There you I go. That's ask. coming back later. I'm yeah. going to, but well done, Laura. Uh, you asked a question and we accept it uh, fully, uh, with love. Um, but I have a question that is uh, a, a different one. And uh, so listeners, you know, I met Laura through my wife, uh, found out about her. Obviously she has fantastic works that make her more than qualified to be on this show. Uh, but listeners, I'm going to tell you that this person, right, she kind of, in a nice way, winds me up a bit, right? And, and, <laughs> and that's not to say, right, that, you know, I, I, I dislike her. But, you know, there's times where I'm like, oh, fuck it, honestly, because she can rab, she can, I can talk as well, but she, I mean, uh, high energy. It's a high energy person. She have her around to our house. It's like, God, you know, it's like, it's intense. Dane's looking like he doesn't know where this is. 
it's not just me just venting this problem, Dane. I must stress, there's a question coming. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I love her as well. You know, like she, she's, she's a great character, and there's a great picture of her at my wedding. I'm literally about to drop her son that night. Uh, she goes off that <laughs> night and has a, and you know, our bond for just that alone is is incredible. Um, so, what is how how close is love and hate? Because with you, Laura, for me, <laughs> it's definitely uh, definitely running along both lines at times. But how, for you, Laura, how close? Not with me. You can ignore. You know, my setup is a bit of a jovial, silly one. But like, how close is love and hate? Because I often feel it's pretty fucking close. <laughs> Well, first of all, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for the honest feedback on our relationship <laughs> in a public arena. Stephen, <laughs> after this friendship, Laura, can you believe this shit? Didn't <laughs> even, you came along with Tara, and now you got yes. to deal with this shit. I mean, you, Howard, are the plus one, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, I, I am the plus stuck one at the wedding, you. Howard. Yeah, I was the plus one at the wedding, but you're the plus one in her life, Howard. <laughs> Um, Laura knows I'm fucking around a little bit. Also, I'm a bit disappointed to say that I don't have any hate for you, so now I'm going to work on that. That is my homework for this week. <laughs> you know I my hate be, is. You know my hate yeah, is still sure, sure. wrapped in. I'll that. be going on in a public forum in a week's time to talk about my hate for you. But refer <laughs> um, to the podcast as well. I will. I will. I will yeah. And I'll tell them to subscribe because yeah, they should yeah. do that. Because yeah. um, <laughs> how do I hate that? Happy. Came from you, Laura. Be like, <laughs> <laughs> hate that shit. <laughs> Um, I, for my first book for adults, um, interviewed a homeless guy and he, there was something really, uh, you know, when some people just have this like power about them, do you know what I mean? They're so Mm. compelling and you know, I just, he could have, he could have talked to 6,000 people and every single person would have listened. Like he was phenomenal. And he said something that will never leave me. And he was like, what's the opposite of love? And in my head, I was like, hey, but I didn't say it. I was letting him speak. He went, most people think hey. And I was like, yep. And he went, but that's not what the opposite of love is. The opposite of love is not giving a shit. I mean, he didn't Mm. say that. He said like not caring, whatever. Indifference. Mm. Yeah. I think that the relationship between love and hate is difficult, but I don't think they're opposite. I think that in the context of most relationships, it is normal and totally acceptable to sometimes find someone else really difficult and maybe even hate them. Like, I think it's normal for most children to hate their parents sometimes. Um, And I, like, my son recently told me he hated me. And I was like, that's okay. (laughs) 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 It's normal to hate your parents sometimes. As long as you don't hate me all the time. Um, And I think that to, I think it's actually something that isn't talked about enough because if we kind of hold this idea of love being like, oh my God, Howard, he's amazing all the time. Then we are building up a completely unrealistic picture of love. Like love is difficult. Humans are difficult. Humans are annoying and they are flawed. And then you get two of them together. Oh, those flaws are going to like rub each other up the wrong way. Well, Laura witnessed this firsthand, right? With the whole bacon argument that happened in my house (laughs) that couple of weeks ago. Dane, like we had this, I don't even even know how you really describe it. don't talk about the bacon, Howard. <laughs> no, go on, tell that. It was somewhat of a, a discursive abattoir by the sounds of it. <laughs> it was It was the fact that my wife bought 20 rashes of bacon and I cooked 12 of them for four people. 
and it was led to believe that I should have cooked all 20 because that wasn't enough bacon. And it got quite, you know, it got quite argumentative. Um, it was like seriously awkward. And I was sitting there with my son <laughs> and we were like, just like, you know how children can be very honest about things. And so he was like, this is a bit awkward. And I was like, shh, shh just eat your bacon. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know when like, and you think like a proportionality in arguments, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this bacon argument would maybe have been reasonable for approximately 30 seconds, but it, it, it lasted far, far, yeah. far, yeah, It went on to, far, it came back a couple far. of weeks later in a, in a, in a dinner party. <laughs> so it's like where I asked every member of the dinner party to, to, to vote yeah. whether they agreed with me or what, not. What day was this dinner party, Howard? Uh, it was on my wife's birthday. <laughs> so, so just to clarify, oh. on his wife's birthday, he got all her friends to vote as to whether they agreed with her or him about the bacon argument. Yeah, the bacon distribution, which, yeah. uh, which I'm yeah. completely right about. So what, I'm, what, what I'm hearing is, Laura, is Tara, your friend of many years, uh, <laughs> uh, husband of Jewish origin. <laughs> <laughs> Began a porcine-infused debate <laughs> <laughs> to ruin her birthday party. To ruin her birthday. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I mean, not why am I not the one? Your local synagogue, Howard. I've got <laughs> and the, the fact that you chose the Sabbath to tell me this. <laughs> it's a you know, it's a fine line. What can I tell it's you? A it's a fine, fine line. line. Thinner than the rashes on said bacon, that's for sure. <laughs> I just think love and hate, and I do love you, Laura. You know, you know that, but you know, there's times. Thanks, mate. Your, your husband, if we ever get him on the podcast, he's a celebrated a culinary genius. Uh, you know, he would say, you know, that you drive him up the wall as equally as he loves you, I'm sure. Uh, people, Dane, come on, love yeah. and hate, you know what I'm talking about. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, as Laura correctly stated, as you stated as well, it's love is not the opposite, hate is not the opposite of love. It's uh, indifference. And, this, and the saying is, it's a thin line between love and hate. And I think that uh, in the same way, uh, for lack of a better analogy, it's like in the Lord of the Rings, orcs are supposed to be their elves that have been twisted by the ring. And hate is this love that has been. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Twisted by insecurity or fear, it's when other emotional complexes influence that love. Or I think the existential threat or, or personal threat of being deprived of love um, is what stimulates or is the catalyst for hatred. So, for example, if you have an argument about, you know, bacon, for example, with your family and close friends, and your point of view doesn't seem to be accepted by people, 
then it affects maybe the self-love and the way you perceive yourself and will also make you question the the integrity of the love between yourself and your wife if she appears to dissent from you or have a differing opinion as well as her friends. And her friends and the way she loves her friends is also a reflection of her as well. So if it appears that these people perceive you a certain way, then you may feel less loved. And one of the ways I think we instinctively protect ourselves from deficiency of love is to supplement it with hatred. Because mm-hmm. I think hatred, uh, if we were to think of these things as chemical releases, they probably are received by the same receptors and are uh, indicated by the same um, chemical releases and same actions, same acts of irrationality, same uh, fears and insecurity, and all of the same kind of psychosomatic responses we can produce when we're experiencing love are very similar to hatred because a lot of the time, well, all of it's in our head really because these aren't two things that you tend to be able to demonstrate in a tangible way in the way that like your stomach grumbles when you're hungry Mm. or like you rub your eyes when you're tired, like love and hate aren't things you can necessarily display with any kind of clear, distinct motor function. Um, But then you could argue that, that, that distinguish them too, because at the same time, love and hate, you can act in the same irrational way, whether it's like finding some weird part of strength that allows you to do something that you wouldn't normally do. Um, or just act in a way that's countenance to your own uh, body chemistry because, you know, you can do stuff when you love somebody that can potentially be self-destructive or outside of your normal uh, motor functions. Um, and I think it's the same thing with hatred as well. And these can also manifest in terms of how you treat yourselves. So, for example, the pathology of self-destructive behavior, like with people who abuse substances, a lot of the time it's because the chemical reaction that creates is supplementing love, whether it's release of endorphins or uh, yeah, serotonin, that supplements the deprivation of love that somebody has, which in turn causes them to hate themselves. So on the subject of like Laura saying when her son saying he hated her, Jane, that's okay. There was a point in time when I started doing comedy and I was still living at home when I thought my mother hated me. Hmm. And then I started thinking, well, she hates me. Well, maybe I hate her too. But when I actually sat down to ponder the feeling, because she never said it, and really, the way she is leaving me, let me live in her home would suggest that she doesn't, it's not she doesn't care about me. And I realize it's not that she hates me. It's uh, uh, the way she's acting makes me feel like she doesn't love me as much. Hmm. And that's what worries me more. And normally, a lot of the time, it's sometimes it's like, it's not that she hates me. It's probably more. She uh, she loves you so much. It, it makes it, yeah, it, make, but it, make, it makes, it affects the way she thinks about herself. So if I appear to be struggling, the way that reflects on her is that I've not given my child the tools that's allowing them to thrive or prosper in the world. So I tend to project that fear onto them. But to me, it looks like she hates me. And I think anytime we have opposing groups where it comes to love and hate, it's not this group hates this other group. It's this group is scared of how this group feels, makes them feel about themselves. I, I've got someone in, oh, I know, and it's not Laura. <laughs> and, and it's not you, Dane. I'm not going to name them for, for, for reasons I don't think they want to be named. But fuck me, they piss me off. I mean, most of the time, they piss me off. Like, pretty much consistently for decades, right? And yet, there is no doubt in my mind that this person loves me unconditionally and deeply, yet that manifests itself as really 
fucking annoying behavior that is just you know just just and and, and it's because they just want the they just want the best for you right and, that, and that's where i think love and hate often will conflict because do you know what i mean laura because you are yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. desperate for things to, it's like that scenario that plays out which we've talked about before dane where you're you know and it, this is often unfortunately because of society been a, a female uh trait but like you know when you're trying to have a nice time like christmas dinner for instance and yet like the the drive to make everything perfect just ruins everything because you're just so desperate for making and then you end up hating that person because you're just like can we just not have a fucking good can you have to not worrying about everything you know what i mean just let's just get on with it and it's i don't know it it, it makes life very complicated it does no but it's it's an interesting point howard and like I've, I've i've spent a lot of time trying to look at behavior like that just you know in my capacity as an observational comedian and uh it's like, to me, that's somebody who's trying to recreate the aesthetic that people associate with love because people use like nostalgia to help them uh, evoke feelings of love from before. Because um, like I said, it's, it's a thin line. Like these, these are all like metaphysical um, states of being, whether it's like remembering love or remembering trauma and love and hate, they're all like very closely related. So when you see somebody, for example, trying to make something like Christmas perfect, it's under the premise theory, like when everyone experiencing this remembers how perfect the Christmas this was aesthetically, I'll be validated by my actions because they'll just remember how perfect everything went. And sometimes if people haven't experienced love themselves and not, have not been taught your presence alone and your loving presence is what actually matters. They will try to create superficial um, replacements of that to make people think it's okay. Whereas it's like, for example, you think, and you know, there's people who may have lost family members. It's like more than the best Christmas would be, we could be eating toast if mum was still here. <laughs> Dane, you have this capacity, which I think is really phenomenal, to articulate something really difficult about life and humanity in like a, a nugget. It's what poets spend like six months trying to come up with these sentences that just pop out of your mouth on this podcast. And one of those, which I'm now going to inadequately recite, was that the deficiency love, the a deficiency of love is often what leads to hate. Yeah. And it reminded me of an interview I did with someone called Nejbet, who uh, went to prison. He was Turkish. And he said, in there, you know, I met all these people doing terrible things. And I would say, like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you being so unkind to people? And he discovered that these people did not have any love when they were growing up, not a, not even a drip of it. And so how is it like, and it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, that when you are accepted, when you feel received and when you feel like you belong and you're safe when, you, when you're growing up, you learn you learn, you're, you're being taught, basically. You're being taught so many really important things. And the people that don't receive that love aren't being taught. And Elijah, who's one of the people that I'm interviewing for this book that's coming out, he was abused really, really severely as a child, like thrown across the room, like horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. I'm not going into more detail because he's yet to confirm mm-hmm. He's got to like review his chapters before I include them and talk about them. Um, but he talks a lot about this idea of how his father, who was incredibly unkind and, and abusive to him, 
was like that because he didn't receive any love. He didn't just receive no love from his father. He received no love from his mum. And Elijah talks about, well, you know, sure, my dad, you know, beat me up all the time. But then at least I had a cuddle from my mum. And so there was hope. Mm. And I think that the problem is that when you grow up without any love from anyone, how can you be expected to create that in your future without a shit ton of support? If you don't know God, of course you're only going to do the devil's work. (laughs) God is love is a... my theory, as we've discussed on this podcast we've before, a few hours. times this podcast, uh, we are going to have to. Um, we're going to have to think about how to begin this poetry journey, Laura. So you and I should definitely stay in touch. Um, exactly, and 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 let's go to Dane's question because we're we're really circumnavigating many elements of love here, and I know Dane's relates back to that too. Precisely, yeah, and the reason for that, I think we've discussed different facets of love in terms of the execution and the existence of it and how it is applied within, uh, and we've only discussed it from the perspective of human beings as well, because obviously you understand that people can have love for nature as well as for other sentient beings. Um, because of that, I say, and I um, think it's probably the truth, the truth I'm most comfortable expressing to people, God is love. And by that, I don't mean that anyone's Abrahamic or monotheistic idea of a superior being is love. I mean, what we describe as love is the closest thing to a God we have as human beings in terms of a metaphysical existence of something that we all unanimously decide is uh, sentient because of the way we act in its image, because we're created in its image and the way we... um, and. I'd say the deprivation of love and indifference and someone experiencing indifference or isolation is hell on earth. Um, but, and I feel like the expanse of that is why it can take a whole lifetime in, this, in the existence of religions and other groups is the collective human pursuit or pursuit of all sentient beings to realize said love. Now, I'm not sure if that's a conversation we can have today, Laura, or one for another time. But for me, that's why I say it is the conversation. In terms of all ideas of human interaction and acceptance, I think love prefaces all of that. And I think really our biggest existential journey and want is to become closer to that love as either a collective consciousness, but really just to have that experience. And again, that's a conversation we'll have another time or I'll have to write a poetry book. But I feel like love, and I'll try and make it as small as possible, in the West is particularly uh, love is, has been damaged by romance. True. What do you, th- do you think true or false? That's how I'll phrase the question. <laughs> romance and the, or the capitalist construct of romance has been responsible for the erosion of love. Romance and romance and capitalism, I'd say discuss. Now that is like, just such an excellent question that I that fills me with joy. I love it. And I've thought about it a lot. There's this guy called Paul Hollander and he used to work in, he's an academic and he used to specialise in communist countries. And he then for some reason decided to study love briefly and wrote a book about it. And he said that actually the, the way we talk about romantic love is basically akin to communist propaganda. Mm-hmm. And what happens is it is you and represented in a way 
to make people buy shit. Like you look at perfume adverts and cars and jewelry and shit we do not need, but that we buy that requires us to work harder, that takes us away from the love is it's just romantic love. And also this isn't like, you know, it's not a healthy representation of of romantic love, it's two young people who are usually white and in a heterosexual relationship who are minted and that's why they can buy an expensive car. And so what that does, which infuriates me, is it perpetuates like a false ideal that is impossible because humans are flawed, but it also feeds into all of our desires for love. And for some people, that desire will be bigger than others. And you think, oh, well, if I have that, then, if I have that, then, if, and it can be used to like, to make us buy anything. And so I really have a problem with that massively. And I think there's other factors like online dating, for example, that that has involved a lot of the commodification of humans. Absolutely. So you are no longer. Sorry to cut you, Laura. If they wanted you to find love, they wouldn't be offering you money to come the fuck back, would they? (laughs) If it's if it's love and it's supposed to be love, you don't need to do it twice. Well, so think- anyone who wants anyone with a business model for longer than a year doesn't want you to find love on their dating app. I think that the the issue that I have with it is that instead of seeing people in in all of their three D. Mm-hmm. With like seeing insights into their values, you know, in how they treat a waitress, for example, um, you you're encouraged to look at humans like a pair of jeans, where you swipe to find to find the best one, the best two D yeah, image, the fit. yeah, the yeah. Fit. and and also my worry is that the emphasis and like I don't think it's totally wrong. Like I have friends that have met lifelong partners, blah blah. blah. I'm not saying it's totally wrong. I'm just saying that there are some negatives, and one of them is. The more choice you have, there's a psychologist called Barry Schwartz who talks about this. The more choice you have, the easier it is to have unrealistic expectations. So if you just go into a shop and there's one pair of jeans, that's all you've got, right? You put those jeans on, you'd be happy with those pair of jeans. Like it used to be, there was loads of stats on this. We used to find our partners within a certain number of blocks from where we lived, right? Job done. We lived in communities that weren't very mobile and everyone knew everyone and we went for someone who lived nearby. And now what happens is you look online and there's, almost unlimited options and that can facilitate the belief that perfection is out there and it also puts the emphasis on the other without thinking about maybe you and whether you've sorted your shit out and also the interaction of the two people and so I feel like I totally agree with you I feel like romance has been misrepresented like expectations unrealistic expectations piled on it and there's loads of research that shows that unrealistic expectations are terrible for relationships like people with unrealistic expectations are less likely to seek support for example therapy they're more likely to think that the answer is just to find someone else they're less likely to work at their relationship i mean the list goes on and the biggest one as well the biggest one of love is that it will last forever and you can benefit from that and I, and I want to just, again, make a affirmation to people. Yes, love lasts forever. You don't. That's the thing that people need to understand. Love lasts forever. You don't. The only way you are able to have your love last forever is the one you imprint on other people. Yes. People won't remember, totally remember how you looked every day or how good you looked. <laughs> For a number of different reasons, we may not look our best when we leave this earth. What they will remember and what they're always going to be able to evoke is the love you made them feel when you was around. That's the one thing that can outlast you. 
And the problem with romance is this compartmentalization of love to be exchanged like a commodity when really it's two people having a shared experience. And those aren't the same things. Because we can Yeah, I agree. We could go to dinner and we may not necessarily remember how that food tasted, but you'll remember how you were made to feel while you were dining with that person. Completely. And that's the problem is romance's obnoxious attempt to make something that defies physical and tangible and matter into something commodifiable and tangible and by that nature then able to be traded. And that's not how it works. That's because there's a love that you can get from a child that will not be equal to the love that you're actively able to understand and demonstrate to said child. But just for that child to smile and learn how to smile after you've been wiping their ass for how long doesn't, on paper, that doesn't look like an equivalent in exchange. But love doesn't follow these quantitative patterns whereby because I put this much money into my child's education, I get that return on investment in a monetary way. Because the money you pay for your child's education just to watch your child walk on the stage for graduation and smile and say thank you, you can't measure how those work quantitatively, but the love is there in both sides. And this is what I think romance and capitalism skews is that there are people that survive being in a concentration camp and that bond is going to be stronger than that of a billionaire giving you the biggest diamond in the world. That I've found in this unspeakable tragedy, whereas this area of opulence and luxury, the love is nowhere near the same. And it's romance that has skewed those concepts. Because, because in the end, uh, and listeners, uh, who knows how many uh, years, I don't know, will be work, will, you'll be listening to us for. But I just can't help but think there's no meaning to life in this era for a lot of people, really. Like me and Laura and Dane, you're listening to us talk. And I'll tell you what, there's loads of bullshit that the three of us have to deal with in terms of what we do for our lives, as in what, what, if you, let's call it the 60 hours a week that we devote to our lives to something, right? But, you know, Laura has to talk to get people who says, can you change that line of your poem? And she goes, fuck, fuck you. Uh, Dane has to deal with a number of people involved in comedy and television and media who agitate him in some way for what, you know, trying to influence what he does. And I have to try and convince people to give me money for the things that I think should be on television. All of that becomes quite frustrating. However, it does facilitate some kind of meaning to our life because of creativity in it. But I just think there has become a kind of lack of meaning for so many people in their lives because it became about your fucking finances. And I understand that because I'm from somewhere. Laura's from somewhere. Dane's from somewhere that didn't, the finances weren't secured. You know, the situation you're in financially was difficult, but the reality now for so many people is that they are okay. And yet they've fucking been tricked. They've been tricked to believe that there was some semblance of, of, of like when you're dead, guess what? It's going to be okay because they're going to remember the fucking picture you took on Instagram of the ring you bought or the, or the, you know, what, like any of that is going to have any meaning as if like, if Shakespeare or uh, Malcolm X or, or Marvin Gaye, any of the John Lennon, any of these people were around now, we'd all be talking about their fucking Instagram profile. Of course not. Of course I mean, not. But, and but love, that, has, but love has become but that. You could argue that's why it's so effective because, as I said before, God is love. 
And when someone exists in a social media as a social media personality, the exchange of likes and the very quick access to gratification, as Laura was saying, provides a real quick dopamine and serotonin release, which people associate with being loved. Now, why it's even different is that it's opened up the world to us to closer to godhood in terms of love, because now your adulation can come from places you don't even have to see the people. You don't have to meet them. You don't even have to work to rapport build to experience the love. It's like being a God in terms of how we understand gods. Mm. Gods don't have to come and tell us what good work they do for us. It's a passed on ideal that you're supposed to love God because this is all the stuff he did in the Bible. And it's very similar to Instagram influencer. We don't see what they do and you have no tangible way of proving what they've done, but they are to be loved. And like with religion, people will blindly follow because the idea is that we all get to collectively share in this serotonin release when we see that person we aspire to be close to achieving or living well. Well, it's an end goal. And you could argue it? that... It's an end goal a lot of the time, right? Yeah, yeah, and what you could argue is that, like, you know, we are so deprived of love that now we're at a point now where with social media we can project onto other people and be like, their love is ours. We get to share in this collective love. It works like... It, it, so all, all you're seeing with social media is watching how religion was born, that people who were so desperate for their existence to be validated, they were all taught, if we all focus on this centre or this singularity of love, which is the influencer or the God we don't see, then we all get to share in this collective love. So all you're seeing with how social media works in terms of our worship or, or our idolatry, idolatry of influences, it are people trying to replicate these small paradigms of love on larger scales because they're deprived of it in their own societies. Like, you know, when people say in the old days, you know, you could just leave your doors open and people knew people on the streets through the, f- the function of capitalism. That's not as easy because where you live now is not just determined by people sharing the same cultural or spiritual values. It's because where you can afford. So it means you live there because you can afford to live there. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have rapport with the other people you share that space with. So we're all naturally going to seek our same cultural or social indicators in other places like social media. So you can be living in the part of London, but the people you're close to or the culture you identify most with is in another country. Then if you see an image or a singularity that reflects that, then you're able to project onto that a lot more. Like at least on a superficial level, that's why everyone loves the Kardashians because they're, they look racially ambivalent. Each part of their being shares some, in terms of women, for example, each part of their form, and I'm just speaking superficially, shares some aspect of the feminine that women from different walks of life can adhere to. Like they look Latino enough that Latina women will like them. They've got big bums that some aspects of African women will like them. Their skin is pale enough or olive enough that European women or their long hair. So now there is this superficial image, a uh, homogenous image of femininity that everyone can project onto. And does, but it doesn't need have any more other substance, yeah. but for some people at that very rudimentary level, that's what they mean and need. And then if people themselves are taught, by replicating that same thing, we can enjoy the at least chemical release that comes with being gratified and liked on social media. We can share in that love too. It's just that as time goes on, when people realize this isn't actually love because it's conditional. Mm. I at least have to have the phone in my hand in order for me to feel it. Whereas when I ponder my family or my partner, they don't have to be physically present for me to feel that love. Whereas I need this phone to exist in order for me to be loved. You're drawn back to the source of this in the first place. And, there's, and, and then once people realize that there is a condition to this love and I have to remain engaged with this love, and at the same time, even though it appears it's really more of a stimulus for serotonin and dopamine release rather than actually experiencing the full chemical and physical uh, manifestation of love, 
then you have to deal with the chemical come down in the same way that like when before I understood like love and loss of love, I may have had a much more skewed image of someone who abused drugs or a substance abuser. But then when you look at the pathology of abuse that normally precedes uh, substance abuse, you're like, well, of course, because that person was trying to find love. And if your body has been trivialized by people that have abused you, but drugs give you this me- something that is in your own mind and stimulates those same releases, then of course you're going to go after it because it's not the getting high that fucks up uh, substance abusers. It's the now the deficit of these chemicals in their body now that they don't have. That is the real problem. It's not the high that makes it a problem. It's the coming down. It's been an outrageously good episode. <laughs> Laura, I mean, that's that. It, we've, 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 we've filled our time without even really pausing for breath at any point. Uh, and um, it's been full of love and various forms of it, right, Dane? I mean, it's the one question that people should never should be able to stop talking about. Yeah. Because it's, it really is uh, the thing that underpins all of our existence. So uh, thank you very much, Laura. Um, we would like to thank you, Laura, for bringing so much love to our show. Sincerely, you, thank you, enjoyed you so it. much. Thank you for fucking with Howard. I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> was I fucking with him or was he fucking with me? I exactly. just don't know. Or was it mutual? <laughs> it's a bit mutual. I it's a bit mutual. <laughs> that's what, okay, that's what counts. Um, Laura, please tell the listeners where you can find out more about your good works and uh, what you're up to at the moment, past, present and future. Um, I occasionally use social media, but I don't think it's great for my mental health, so don't use it loads. Mm-hmm. My social media, whatever it's called, is at Laura Mooka. But as we discussed, it's not it's not written Mooka, it's like Matcha. Uh, so Laura Matcha. Um, I have a website, which is lauramatcha.com. And on there, you can find poems and details of my books, which are for children and adults. And they're usually about love in some way or another. Hmm. And one of them's, I've actually got a copy of one here. And it's, it's, it's basically, if you are having problems trying to find love, you could probably read the book and get some helpful hints, I reckon, that aren't, that aren't completely bullshit. Because uh, there's a lot of people writing books that are probably complete nonsense about finding love, whereas Laura's actually been a bit scientific about it, haven't you, Laura? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not very good at, like, selling my books. So that one was called We Need to Talk About Love. And I show. interviewed um, uh, three to 400 people across 40 countries on every continent. And then... Um, uh, type like transcribed and edited those interviews and then combined it with research and the research was essentially peer-reviewed so each chapter was reviewed by an academic specializing in that area so it's trying to be a holistic view of love which i don't think we get enough um yeah i'm really into working with academics to make love more accessible i think well it's a good read guys you should go and check it out and um Come back one day, Laura, and talk more about love. Okay. I mean, I love talking about it, so you'll be sorry you, you said we that. Lo- we, love, no, we, love, we love to hear about <laughs> it. So um, we, 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 we uh, definitely thank you, Laura, and we loved having you on here. And uh, listeners, my um, advice is to make sure you love yourselves and set that standard in terms of how you love other people. And uh, love's not the same as romance. Stay out of the spiritual industrial complex. It's not for you. <laughs> you've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything 
hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Laura Mooka. You can follow Laura on Twitter and Instagram at Laura Mooka. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.